Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren Christ Church Podcast. My name is Ryan Cagno. The HPIC Podcast brings you weekly episodes on the topic of discipleship, where we'll sit down with members of the HPIC family to hear their stories, hear about the different ways people at HPIC are pursuing discipleship. In other words, how they're learning to follow Jesus' example and obey his teachings in their daily lives in practical ways. This week, I talked to someone who is a member of our church, who is connected with our church, but has been serving abroad for the past number of years, uh, named Paul. I'm not going to use his last name, uh, just for the interests of security. Um, Paul had uh, lived and served for 14 years in Jordan, and actually was uh, born and grew up in in Lebanon. So um, brings a unique and and well-informed perspective to what exactly is happening right now uh, in Israel-Palestine. We recorded this... um, Thursday, October 12th. So just wanted to get his perspective to kind of help us think through uh, what faithful discipleship and in response to everything that's going on looks like and just to help kind of frame our thinking and um, better understand uh, the elements of pre- at, at play so we can pray faithfully. Um, this was a Zoom conversation, so the audio quality might sound a little different, but uh, just want to let that be said. Hope you enjoy. Paul, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, for those listening, it's just going to be Paul, no last name for the sake of, um, uh, for safety for him and the people that he works with. But as, as far as you're, you, you feel comfortable doing it, would you, uh, introduce yourself to the listener and kind of orient us to who you are, what you've been doing the last 14 years and and maybe a little bit of what you're going to be doing going forward? Sure. Sure. So my name is Paul. And I'm first-generation Lebanese-American from a Christian background. So as far as I know, going back hundreds of years, uh, my family were Christians, at least nominally, from uh, a certain sect uh, called Maronite, which is kind of a Catholic offshoot, um, and grew up in... Uh, Lebanon, but then came here as a young man. And uh, for the last decade and a half, have been in uh, the Middle East and working with refugees, working with a variety of, uh, of people, because even countries there have kind of a cosmopolitan, uh, multicultural aspect. Uh, really loving people, serving people. Uh, But as our organization's tagline, it's with love and respect, inviting all Muslim peoples to follow Jesus. And it's really about helping bring light. Um, I've met some of the the most beautiful, loving, hardworking, uh, faithful people you could meet who are Muslim in religion but who um, live in uh, fear, who live in kind of a sense of lack, that there's no peace, there's no sense of belonging. And so to bring Jesus into the equation is is really key. And and over the many years, uh, it's only confirmed that we have something really, really valuable to share with the world. And that's the way of Jesus. Um, And where we lived, uh, there were a lot of, you know, it's in the heart of what's happening right now uh, in a neighboring country. And so uh, a lot of those issues come to the forefront and you have to be able to um, 
follow a, a middle way and not get sucked into the offense, the spirit of offense on either side of the equation as a follower of Jesus. It's really the narrow road of the gospel and of discipleship. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit. Did I miss something there? No, that's great. So you were living in Jordan for the past 14 years um, doing this work, kind of outreach work. Um, and what exactly could you give me just flesh out like your what did the day to day work you were doing in Jordan among Muslim communities look like? Sure, sure. It, it looks different from day to day and season to season. Uh, shortly after we got there, there was a uh, influx of refugees, of Syrian refugees, because that was occurring within a year or two of, of our arrival. And so we shifted to working with Syrians. Uh, and what that looked like was anywhere from um, doing some just help, because a lot of these guys left with the shirts on their backs. And uh, so just practical help. And then my wife became involved in a knitting project that was more of a trauma um, help. So they they would they would knit, but then earn income through the knitting and hear just gospel stories. And so now we're I think that's going on over ten years. And there's a number of these women that are now following Jesus. Uh, for me, a lot of it was connecting with uh, men, with families through, we had a team of people working with us. So we had multiple avenues of contact, whether it was through physical therapy or work, just overlap, or just even meeting people at a cafe and just engaging people um, with, with the gospel. Um, and it, I'm, I'm happy to, to say that we have seen a number of People come to follow Jesus at great expense to them, uh, and we've seen some reject as well. And um, but it's continuing to just sow sow seeds of life and light to help believing communities from Muslim background really come to their own, um, because sadly. Uh, they're even as followers of Jesus, they are somewhat discriminated against. They're, it's hard for uh, churches of Christian background to accept them. There's almost uh, a prejudice and a racism there of sorts. And we continue to work with churches to help shift some of that thinking. Um, we're also involved in training new workers in a lot of ways on how to connect with with muslims we we use an approach of building bridges so a lot of it is really starting with where people are at what are the common things we believe like in one god we believe jesus was uh unique in some ways they believe in the virgin birth they believe in uh, some other things that are unique to jesus they may not agree a hundred percent but we start and walk that bridge together as one of my mentors said, you don't live on the br a bridge, right? You use it as a pathway, but we also don't want to blow up the bridge because then we'll just stay on the opposing sides and lobbing bombs at each other, which is not helpful. Uh, at least metaphorical bombs, you know, uh, in our situation, unfortunately, now, you know, we're seeing more of the physical 
uh, and practical outworkings of, of some things. So yeah, that was a little bit of that leading a team of people really supporting and developing uh, others in various capacities. We, we were doing uh, sports stuff, exercise, um, mother, child kinds of things, really whatever uh, connection points we had uh, with people that would uh, be a normal everyday kind of thing so that this wasn't this weird, you know, out there uh, handing out tracks or something. It, it was a very natural, normal part of their daily life and our daily life. Uh, it's much easier to talk about faith issues in the Middle East than it is in America, unfortunately, you know, because it's it's part of everyday life. It's even our colloquialisms are just God is is in everything. Does everybody believe that? Of course not. You know, many Muslims are becoming more secular now. Um, but generally, in terms of it's not a taboo like it is in Western culture. You, you have to tread very carefully here. Whereas, you know, I'll offer to pray for people who I've met for the first time. Um, you know, I'll just call Turkey share. And I've never, I've rarely, I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but I can't recall somebody getting upset or, you know, and, or even just being kind of lukewarm about it. Most of the time there's, there's an engagement there of really, huh, you're, you're a Christian. What does that mean? Or what kind of Christian, or, you know, I've never read, read the gospels, you know, what yeah. our book says that. So yeah, it's, but it is challenging. I always tell people the easy part is evangelism. The hard part is once Muslims come to faith in Christ, we've walked with some of these guys and families, and that's the hard part. Yeah. Uh, even when we're seeing movement kinds of things, it's not. It's almost always with uh, a cost involved. So pivoting a little bit to what's going on right now, um, between Israel and Hamas. I mean, I guess first I would want to ask as someone who's who's lived in that region, you know, how does this news hit you personally before we get into trying to frame the broader things at play here? Mm. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, I think for me specifically, because I grew up in a civil war, yeah. in Lebanon, which potentially could get involved. Uh, things there are already terrible. And so a war or any kind of um, involvement from Hezbollah could mean uh, even worse conditions for Lebanon. That's one piece. But just, just having lived through a civil war, had friends um, looking at kids looking at, at people um, dying and yeah, it, it just hit, it hits me on a different level, I think, because I've lived that. It's not uh, just images, it's real, real people and uh, family, uh, friends, neighbors. So yeah, war is, is ugly, no matter which side, how you cut it, there, there's just a brutality um around that that um, by its very nature dehumanizes people because uh 
you you kind of have to lose a part of your soul to be able to do some of these things that people are involved with. So you're talking in that instance, dehumanizing the people perpetrating violence. Yeah. Well, both, you know, both ways, the, the people perpetrating have to kind of see the people they're killing as less than human or certainly not their kind of human. And then as we look at the perpetrators, we, it's easy to, I mean, I I've heard that on the news, you know, they're not human, they're animals. And unfortunately it's not even confined to Hamas. It's, it's uh, speaking of Palestinians in general. So, but I think what's really um, cast almost a different, even more severe light on this is, is hearing from my, my Palestinian friends Um, and, and one, one tidbit in terms of Jordan, you know, most Jordanians are uh, of Palestinian descent, probably close to 60 or 70% of the population are considered um, West bankers. Jordan um, itself, because of its climate and whatnot, has never had really a big population. It's mostly desert and tribes. Um, So roughly 40, 30 to 40% of people Jordanians, not there's a lot of other expats and refugees, but in terms of what we would consider Jordanian population, only about 30% are from the East Bank, from the Jordan uh, origin. Yeah, A lot of them are Palestinians. And then, of course, we have friends living there. And there, one of my friends told me he's just depressed. He's not in Gaza. Um, and, you know, I'm continuing to talk with him. And I think there is if I could read his mind, part of it is just the hopelessness, just the, it's a no-win situation because he's seeing Hamas commit these atrocities. He's seeing the Israelis retaliate, um, you know, in in ways that are disproportionate, uh, or at least according to some people. And then, yeah, there's just this, like, how do I make sense of this? as as a Palestinian and as a believer. I, I think people forget that many, many Palestinians are strong believing Christians. And um, well, Jesus was from Palestine, you know, he, he he's from that region. And I, I guess that segues to one piece as we think about this. I think one thing to really keep in mind is is the words we use to label people. If you go back a hundred years or even less than that, but let's let's do a nice clean number of a hundred years, there was no thing called Israel. Um, and the land, I, I think even biblically, you could you probably have better seminary than I do, but it was the people of Israel, meaning the descendants of Jacob, of Abraham. I don't believe the land was ever called Israel. Um it was called many different things, and you have Judah and Samaria, you have the tribal lands, etc. A hundred years ago, it was Palestine. I don't know, I forget how that name uh, evolved into that usage. And you had Jewish Palestinians, I mean, it's just people living on this plot of land. Jews, Christians, Muslims, some other very minor kind of uh, faiths there, but primarily Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and they were all Palestinian. Palestinian just means you're 
from this land of Palestine. And what I think has happened is now we have created these artificial groups of Israelis, which means a lot of different things because you have Israelis, many have come from Russia, from Eastern Europe, um, what we call the Ashkenazi Jews, and then you have the Sephardic Jews who are Arab Jews, who are Middle Eastern Jews, who are kind of maybe the original Jews, who look more Arab than they look maybe whatever we would think Jewish looks like. Um, and we've kind of said, oh, Palestinian versus Israeli. But I think that's that's a really, that's a misnomer. You also have two million Israeli Arabs. These are Israeli citizens of Arab descent, of Palestinian descent, living in not the West Bank, but Israel proper. So it's a very complex issue. And I, I, we're not here to sort of figure out the politics or, or those kinds of things. But I think just to slow down enough to really consider the people. Uh, and now when we kind of shift to Gaza specifically, you know, 50% of Gazans are under the age of 18. They're, they're really considered children. And, and I think a large number of that are under 12. So it, you have this, this population of young people that are growing up without without hope, without an identity, without, uh, and, and it's amazing when you actually look at the positives, you look at what they've been able to do with what little they have, uh, the poets, the artists, the doctors, uh, the people that have been able to make do with very little, it's stark, but it, it you know, I, again, I think the focus here is, is as followers of Jesus, how do we see this? And, and of course, uh, in my tradition, in our tradition, um, we are the we want to seek the way of peace yeah. on, on either side. So I think that should be kind of our stance. And, and it's, it's disheartening to hear so many Christians. It's one thing to be horrified as I am, and shocked, and having experienced these firsthand, the brutality of Hamas, the, there's no justification. Um, you know, we we love our enemies, as, as Christ called us to walk. But the kind of response, this, this sort of uh, primal savage, like, then let's just wipe them out. They did this to us. And hearing that from Christians is just makes me pause and think we, two things can be true at the same time. Yes, this was horrific. Yes, this is wrong. It's evil. But what is our response as followers of Jesus? Well, I can't tell the Israeli government how to respond. But as a Christ follower, what is my heart condition? What is my stance? What am I sharing? with others? What am I letting myself uh, listen to? And and kind of what, what am I feeding my soul um, mm. on, on a regular basis? Yeah, it's, um, wow, I, there's a lot there. I, I, I mean, I feel as I've prayed about this, and as I pray for peace in this situation, especially, um, 
I feel similar. Well, I don't know if it's similar. But I, I also feel hopelessness in a certain way, just because this specific conflict feels feels inevitable in ways that others might not. You know, like I want to, as I pray for peace in between Ukraine and Russia, I can like, I can envision how that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to envision it between between Israel and Hamas. Um, especially when there's the history of just kind of very um, totalizing language, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which happens often in war, but especially in, in this specific conflict and, and cluster of conflicts, um, which you put your finger on it, you know, the disproportionate response of um, some of the language being used and that has been used in response to Hamas of just like total destruction, um, which we've heard before in reference to things like ISIS and other terrorist organizations that like first it doesn't pass the muster of just war theory for one thing, just because mm-hmm. total destruction um, is a disproportionate response to what has happened. It's not possible. Like you, it's not a reasonable, it's not a, to snuff out terror to snuff out this, you know, um, specific organization by targeting Palestinians broadly is not um is not a a well enough defined response and that's just to pass the past muster of just war criteria right never mind uh how we would understand the call of Jesus <laughs> as Christians which to me is a far even more demanding bar than um than just war criteria we're not just interested in seeing Israel have a proportionate response to, to what Hamas has done. It's, it's no, what is the call to loving our enemies in the situation mean? Right. Uh, but the language, as you put it, you know, it's, it's so totalizing. And even as you said, even saying Israeli or Palestinian and, and what is, the function of that language and how that's transformed the reality right these people are and aren't how a hundred years ago there was no such thing as israeli um and now you have this um geopolitical constituency set against this other group of people that by virtue of being dubbed palestinians have been um have kind of been labeled and and delegitimized in certain ways right um I'm, well if i can jump I'm in like shotgun to all the yeah. things so yeah yeah no it, it's uh, i continue to process and obviously i've been trying to understand this i mean the situation is is so complex one of my good friends and co-workers his phd is in this palestinian israeli conflict that's his doctorate and you know, he he has spent his whole life studying this, and it's kind of still wrapping his head around that. I think the other, there's another factor of kind of the eschatology and our theology. And what I would want to say about that is regardless of your eschatological view, whether you're pre-mill, amill, you know, uh, dispensationalist, etc., because I, I think what has happened is we have conflated certain things and uh, a certain eschatological view has become a support for Israel, the political institution, 
the military institution being able to do whatever it wants to do carte blanche. And I, and I think what's important is to tease out to say, okay, even if, let's say I hold a, a certain position that says, well, I believe uh, in revelations literally and, um, you know, Jerusalem and, and Israel and all of that, does that translate, should that translate to even if it's just a moral support or a, um, you know, an alignment of thinking with the nation of Israel that it can do whatever it wants to do. I mean, one one quick example is settlements. You know, the, there was all these, these accords in the West Bank uh, that that piece of land belongs to the Palestinians. And yet since 19... 67, there have been more and more uh, Israeli settlements illegally, according to UN law. Um, and and it's not just, oh, there's a piece of empty land. You know, you're, you're displacing people. You're also chopping this up. And I encourage people, Google a accurate map of the West Bank. It looks like a jigsaw puzzle, the West Bank itself, because there are all these settlements that are that are walled. And so if I'm from one part of the West Bank and I need to go visit my family in another one, I, ha I may have to go through at least one, maybe three Israeli control checkpoints just to go, you know, imagine going from Harrisburg to Mechanicsburg and you have to go through a checkpoint and you may be denied entry to go visit your family, even though it's in your country, it's in the West Bank. Um, that, that's a bit of a side note, you know, just going back to that idea of regardless of what we believe will happen and how God is or isn't going to use Israel, or that he, they're the chosen people, whatever that means, we need to step back and say, there, there's still justice, there's still accountability. Uh, there's many Orthodox or Hasidic Jews that are actually, who are who believe in the Messiah, they're as Jewish as you can get, and they're anti-Zionism, they're anti-settlement, because, uh, you know, for their reasons, I'm not necessarily agreeing with them, but they believe the Messiah, it's his job to restore the land. Yeah. And I think we can learn from that. Yeah. Um, I feel compelled to describe words like eschatology just for the more like <laughs> the lay listener. Um, but what you're putting your your finger on here is you know kind of harkening back to um, what you said about you know scripturally how do we understand Israel as land versus Israel as people? Um, I think certainly in the Old Testament you could make a, somewhat more of a case that Israel had a correspondence to a specific tract of land to some degree, but I do agree with you that more so it refers to a people, Israel and then Judah. Um, we can quibble about that with, if, with folks if we would want to. Certainly by the time you get into the, the late you know Old Testament period and into the New Testament and the New Covenant, certainly there is, it, in my opinion, it is unequivocal that um through 
through Christ and through um, Paul in, in Galatians and Romans and elsewhere that the people of God and the people of the promise are, are, are people and not a physical space, you know, and, and Israel kind of learned that and made that adjustment through exile and displacement and stuff in the old Testament period. Um, now, when we get to revelation, you know, so a lot of the, uh, resettling and stuff in the 20th century, correct me on this. If I'm like fudging the details or getting this wrong, there was, uh, influence of people with specific end times views, at least on like, you know, the American side and kind of American Zionism. I'll only speak to that, that, you know, saw in end times prophecy, Israel, named and figuring prominently right and how could christ return and these end times events be ushered in if israel is not this physical national entity in the world and there was some of that was a kind of a tailwind kind of um influencing the reestablishment of the israeli state right um now you said it well even if we went along with that and said that that is a legitimate understanding of you know um who god's people are or who the people of the promise people of the old covenant promise are even if we accepted that as legitimate um that does not then mean we take carte blanche and we offer carte blanche support for everything that's done in their name. I was talking with a friend recently who said basically the same thing. And um, I'll put my cards on the table and say, I don't think it's legitimate to think of God's people, whether the church or Israel, because Paul in Romans does say that like God's promise for Israel as a people is not totally null and void that in some mysterious way, like Israel will be brought mm -hmm back in by the witness of the gentile church so we do like we don't say that the promise is null but god's people is a people and not a nation is where i would land without really thinking that's very controversial um but if we granted um you know the legitimacy of god's people as a nation we still you know they can't they can't just act <laughs> however they want right and the, my friend to kind of use the example of well how does god deal with his people when they were a nation you know in the old testament <laughs> how does he deal with them when they you know according to their actions uh for good and for bad i mean i think we should um it was certainly not carte blanche it was certainly uh, very conditioned on on some moral imperatives and um I, i've spoken for too long Any yeah, no 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 i think that's helpful I, a couple of just follow-up thoughts obviously uh, it would take hours and hours to really delve into some details and history but what i would just say in brief is it would be helpful you know, just to everybody listening, as you listen to the news, as you read, uh, just even doing a cursory uh, study of the history of the formation of Israel, just to help uh, 
create some balance. You know, this isn't, I'm not anti-Jewish. I'm not anti-Israeli. Uh, in fact, we, we try to help our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who um, have experienced, if you will, Israeli oppression, who still have these old skeleton keys to their homes uh, that they expected to go back to when they fled and and they were, uh, you know, literally kicked out. Uh, so there's a lot of offense on both sides. And, and the way of Jesus is actually helping uh, people, you know, in, in our case, for example, Palestinians to say, can you love the, the people? Can you love Jews? Can you love Israelis? Uh, as with the love of Christ, not necessarily being okay with with the policies and and all of that. Um, and and I think sometimes we confuse again the state of Israel or the Israeli people. We assume that oh these are Jews, these are God worshippers. You know the vast majority of Israelis are are nominal and they're secular, and there are many atheists. You know, it's it's a cultural identity, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we we kind of make this assumption that that these are people bringing about this worship of God and, and all of that. Um, and again, regardless of the eschatological view, whatever role Israel would play, let's let God work that out. Um, you know, I often ask people, do you think, should a Jewish person believe in Jesus? Or do they get like a special card? Or, you know, does it, does Jesus not apply to them kind of thing? Um, and, and so we have to remember that whatever God in his mysterious ways has set, set up, um, how can we be faithful followers of, of Christ and people who are um, bringing peace, bringing, as long as it's up to you, live at peace with all, with all men? Um, I think, so that, that's an important piece, is just to um, not kind of take everything we're hearing, because there, there are some... Uh, some things on both sides. I mean, again, just a, a quick little um, insight, or maybe not insight, but I think what's important to keep in mind with Gaza specifically, uh, Gaza is a strip of land. It's a, about 140 square miles with 2 million people. It's one of the most densely populated pieces of land on earth. With these two million people who really have no citizenship, they're, they're not a country. Uh, imagine having a two million people border or a fence inside of Pennsylvania, 140 square miles. Not, it's a very small piece of land when you think about it. Um, but they can't leave. They don't have a, a national identity. And there's no, you know, the whole two-state solution and, and all of that. The West Bank, things are a little bit, uh, because of the border with Jordan, there's a little bit access. And the West Bank used to belong to Jordan. So 
there is a thing to say, well, you could go back to Jordan because it was part of Jordan when Israel annexed it in 1967. Gaza wasn't part of another country. So the Gazans can't say, okay, we'll now be Egyptian or we'll now be Jordanian. It's just there and they have the sea and they have Israel as the borders. And there is a little border with Egypt, but Egypt doesn't acknowledge these people. They're not Egyptian. They're clearly on the Israeli side. And so I think, again, it doesn't justify anything that Hamas did. Of course not. Absolutely not. Unequivocally not. But I think it's important to, when we say Palestinian, when we say Gazan, um, these are people who have been living under horrific uh, circumstances. And in their mind, it is resistance. And, and it's ironic, you mentioned in the beginning, Russia and Ukraine. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a reverse, you could see it as a reverse um, scenario where we are arming the Ukrainians as resistance against Russia who wants to take over. Well, from the Palestinian point of view, that's exactly what's happening. But because it's Israel, we don't find that to be a problem. Like, of course, they should just get rid of all these people. I, I mean, I think just talking it out loud and looking at the end game is, is helpful. Like, what, what do we do? We really see annihilating two million people as a legitimate thing for a state to do. Any other country, we would be up in arms. We would be horrified. Yeah. But yet. Here we we seem to think uh, that it's legitimate because there are bad guys there because there are terrorists. Well, I challenge anybody name me a country that doesn't have evil people in it. That is that enough to wipe out innocent civilians? And and I think as Jesus followers, we we have to say no. We have to say uh, there is. There are there needs to be other solutions. There needs to be other alternatives. Yes, people need to be brought to justice, but how how do we do that? What's what's the response? What's our uh, again? I'm very concerned for our heart attitude as well, and that we're not dehumanizing when we have an image of a Gazan or a Palestinian. Who is that person? Is that someone made in the image of God who Jesus loves and died for, who He longs to? bring into his family or is it a subhuman person who deserves nothing but extinction mm. I'm, I'm probably overstating some things but i think that's kind of what's been happening and so just to bring some some balance to that rhetoric to say you know let's chase these things out to their logical conclusion um it doesn't end well and that's my uh i think that's at the root of my personal kind of hopelessness in some of these ways you know i i i mourn you know i mourn the hamas attacks and i i lament and i obviously dis decry them um my concern is they'll then be used as pretense for annihilation and that's informed by it, it seems to me i i would call it subtext but it doesn't i don't think it's sub subtextual at this point that the ultimate goal of 
of this conflict in the Israeli side, and this was true long before last week, um, is just the total reclamation and, you know, at any cost of, of what is called Palestine. Right. Um, this is, this, I don't, it doesn't seem like there is a scenario right now in which, uh, mm -hmm. they lay down their arms and say, fine, you know, you can have it. Um, and so that's until that aspect of things changes now, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just a very practical suggestion. I think, you know, what I would encourage each of us is to, um, you know, especially if you have neighbors or even people you see at a store or uh, even online, just engage in conversation uh, that is that is uh, gentle, that is humble, um, you know, even and especially if that person is on you know, the opposite side. That's vulnerable. It's risky. But I think in dialogue, it's not that we want, you know, or I want even people listening to this to agree with me 100%. But can we can we dialogue? Can we hear the other perspective? Can we realize that there, there are some things that are true? Also, very practically, be careful about your news sources. There's so much uh, that is being promoted on both sides, that is just, you know, not true. It's it's things like these, you know, massacres of babies and these kinds of things or footage from uh, two years ago or footage that's displaced, um, you know, that's in the wrong place. So just being aware of that, but more importantly, engaging, um, you know, my daughter had a conversation with someone who is on, a, on the opposite side, uh, just by texting and, you know, we were talking through it and I said, well, here's some things you can ask or think about. And she was surprised how, you know, the person didn't switch sides, if you will, and agree with her, but there was actual dialogue and there was kind of a, oh, that's, I never thought of that, or I'm going to look into that and just helping each other consider those kinds of things, I think, is is really important. That would be, you know, what would Jesus do? WWJD, that old uh, kind of thing. I think he would want to seek to do that, and um, just to to hear from people. And I, I think you're going to be surprised. You're going to find that Palestinians um, are just, yeah, they're it's a difficult situation and uh, those that love peace are in a difficult place. And that, that is the prophetic stance, you know, it, when it's easy, it's easy, but when uh, we're faced with these things, that's when it's really important to say, you know, I'm probably going to not be loved for saying these things, but they're important and they need to be said. I, I don't mean per, me personally, but any of us who might, um, or we're in a room of people that are just like, yeah, let's wipe them off the face of the earth kind of thing. And to be able to stand and say, is that, is that, you know, at least from a Christian perspective, should we be agreeing with that? Um, I think those are just small ways we can be 
part of the solution. And of course, prayer, you know, is um, is key. Uh, I don't understand it. It's a mystery. If anything, it aligns our hearts with God's ways and thoughts and uh, keeps us from taking on offense of other people, whichever side we're on, whether we're pro-Palestinian or pro-Israeli, or again, those those artificial kinds of things. We are pro-people who are made in the image of God. Yeah. That has been the, um, that's been the thing I've been convicted about this week. You know, there's always this impulse in these moments to, whether it's a Facebook post or whatever it might be, you know, to like, you got to weigh in, you got to get your take out there. You've got to, whatever it may be. Um, and there's times to speak up and times to advocate, but when I haven't even stopped to pray, you know, mm -hmm. there's people that have lost their lives and are losing their lives. There are people that have been living in terror their whole life. Um, and in in captivity and um yeah there are real people who are who are right now um right. horrifically affected by these things you know first things first am i am i praying before i open my mouth before i am i you know am i praying am i thoughtfully considering this am i am i with them in that way um i think that's vital yeah and then news consumption as you said like being thoughtful on that i saw somebody i don't remember who it was uh some american celebrity um who like condemned hamas um condemned the actions of hamas i guess um and his tribe which of of kind of you know um more left-leaning celebrity americans who would kind mm -hmm. of fade like be be kind of against israel and this whole thing you know kind of piled on to him for offering condemnation of hamas and you know his response which i thought was interesting is just like like can we not treat this like a football game mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, like that you know like just he said more and he said it more eloquently but can we not treat this like 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 a football game where we're spectating and we're casting our lots for these sides can we not have the nuance to understand that uh condemnation for uh of hamas is not a writing off of palestinian people um or support necessarily for israel's response to this attack um exactly exactly and we just get caught we get caught in the we get caught in only um operating out of the options that our culture offers us and our political discourse offers us yeah uh, the way of jesus is so often it's not finding a third way just for the sake of finding a third way but if we if we think the response in the way of jesus in any given situation just happens to cleanly align with one of these two ideological niches that we've carved out mm -hmm. um we should reconsider and take a step back. Um, you know, uh, I, I think uh, that's kind of my maybe last word or encouragement. It was along those lines to kind of step back. You know, if, if we zoom out of this and say, what is, what is the end goal? And, you know, I think of Paul, he says it's to preach Christ and him crucified. It's not about, this or that or which side 
uh, has the moral high ground, if you will. But, you know, I, I guess maybe I'm biased because this is, I love to share Christ with Muslims particularly, but anybody really. And, and as I look at it, what is the solution? It's Jesus. It is Jesus. It's him crucified. Um, you know, I think particularly a response that includes power and violence and oppression. Um, you know, what Hamas did, they did, but we would never condone that. And are we, if we're prone to condoning, kind of we're going to beat them, this idea of, you know, taking sides. And then it, it is going to only continue to escalate and get worse. But zooming out and looking at um, what is God's heart for people? It's that they they know Christ. And, you know, I would I would say that from my perspective, my theological view, Jews need Jesus just as much as Muslims need Jesus, just as much as anybody, because uh, that is how we know God. That is how we know we are children of God. We are not slaves to sin. We're not slaves to death. Jesus has conquered the final enemy, which is death. And um, to get drawn into, you know, this this battle on this level where um, we could inadvertently be calling for the death of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of people uh, should should sober us, should have us look back and say, what is it as one who claims the name of the one who did not uh, spare anything else but gave us his son um, in the way of the cross? That, that I think, needs to be uh, the banner that kind of covers or the lens by which we look through these things, you know, just put Jesus <laughs> in between uh, your eyes and the news and all of these, these other things, not our kind of visceral, emotional, or even logical deductions, which could be skewed as well, but um, the Christ of, of Scripture. And, you know, we're all flawed, we all have biases, but I think that will hopefully bring us closer to um, a way that is more in line with, with the heart of God, with, with the Holy Spirit. And I think community is really key to that, and community, not conformity, not uniformity, but uh, being with other people who uh, we could work these things out, we could talk through them, we could help sharpen each other and our think and challenge our thinking. Uh, in healthy, helpful ways. Yeah. I imagine I'll, I'll be receiving some of that correction after this podcast. <laughs> I, you know, very much on a journey of trying to understand these things. And um, man, I hesitate to say anything else because that was really good, Paul. Um, well, I, I'd be happy to, you know, again, I'm I'm no expert. This is just my take on things. And I continue to learn and grow and Really, it is very much walking the way of Jesus, as I said, because, you know, in some ways we, we have to deal with uh, sort of Israel could do anything it wants and it can do no wrong as a political entity. And then we have 
many of our friends who just, you know, they hate, like I, we had, I remember being in a, in a um, round, not a round table, but just a dialogue with a group of um, uh, Arabic teachers, uh, language nurturers, Jordanian and Palestinian. And one of these, these little tiny women, you know, said, if, if I had a knife and, and there was a Jew in front of me, I just go up and stab them. And I'm thinking, what, what is the thought process? What has this woman experienced or ha her family have experienced for her to do that? It's not a normal person or in the sense of that's just not a response of, you know, I'm going to do this. And she's the sweetest, most gentle, you know, person you're going to meet, but something and and so that is just as wrong and and it's my job to help her see that you know these people are made these people you know her enemies uh or who she perceives as her enemies non-discriminately even though maybe it's the political uh, or military oppression that she is you know, upset about or or is responding to, it, it's so easy for us to say, yeah, those people are the culprits. And, and if, you know, I was able to, I would do that. And I'd risk being shot or going to jail in order to, you know, make a stand kind of thing. That does show you the desperation, though, that that right or wrong, better or worse, this is where people are at. And it's it's not because they're evil, you know, inherently. It's because uh, there are just complexities there. So anyway, that was probably a side tangent, but oh, it's good. And then I I I need to be humble and recognizing I'm not living in Gaza or in Israel right now, and so the so much of this and so many of the realities for me are theoretical in that sense. So I'm always humbled when I levy pacifistic opinions because it's like mm. it's easy to be a pacifist in like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it's harder to be a pacifist in Gaza. Um, but um, yeah, one of the transformative aspects of our theology for me has been, it seems like an obvious thing, but the idea that um, the manner of Jesus's life and how Jesus conducted himself in his passion and death um, are, um, what's the word I want to say, uh, something we ought to be emulating. Uh, it wasn't just, it happened to be the way he marched to the cross, but the cross is the main thing because we're just here for the salvation full stop. And it's like, well, the life of Jesus is instructive, is uh, paradigmatic for us, right? Um and that ought to be our lens through which we are, we should, as you said, we should want first and foremost people to meet and know Christ who is the solution to our world's problems, right? And and part of how we do that is we bear Jesus's example and image into the world um, and his manner and his, uh, uh, as expressed in his earthly life, which was, you know, as a sheep before shears is silent. Um that is folly. It seems especially folly in moments like this, um, you know, where lives hang in the balance. Um, 
but at the very least for people like myself who are looking on from thousands of miles away, coming to this with a humility and a concern first and foremost uh, for the witness of Christ and for the dignity and value of human lives on either side. Um, as you said so well, like seeing this through that lens first and foremost, not through some eschatological lens, not through some mm -hmm. geopolitical yeah. lens, whatever it may be that, you know, and, and let's all of us consider the fruits of the lenses we're bringing to this. If we find ourselves justifying the loss of life on either side, we probably need to take a step back because we've probably lost the way of Jesus somewhere along the way. I appreciate the time. Um, is there any la any parting word, um, practical admonition or, or anything you'd want to leave us with? I think it's uh, what I've shared already. Um, yeah, it's really getting to know people as people and taking our, it, it's just so easy to compartmentalize. It's so easy to believe one thing, but in our actions, in our words, actually live out something else. And the goal of the Christian life is integration. It is to move from glory to glory. It is to, we're not going to reach perfection, but it is very much having that mind of Christ, Philippians 2, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and made himself like a servant. And I think, you know, pacifism is being a Lebanese kid who grew up in a war and, you know, shot my, used my first machine gun, not at anybody at a wall when I was like eight or nine years old, you know, um, it's, it's a mindset and it is, it is the hard way. It is the narrow way. It is the prophetic way. And, and I think, you know, let's look at the track record in, in closing. Let's look at the history. How has violence on either side oppression. I don't mean Israel and Hamas. I mean the world. Um, we we keep, you know, replaying the same the same tune, and it keeps getting us really nowhere. Um, and yeah, we can blame well those countries. You know, we didn't we didn't do that. But it is a mindset, and it is a way of that starts with us and uh, our own desire for violence and. Um, I, yeah, so I, I do think while it can seem theoretical and uh, there's a cost and those who have resisted without violence in the way of Jesus um, have often, you know, paid, paid the price. Um, but we see that, that the church grew out of that. We see that the way of Jesus has always been, um, taking the the road less traveled and not what is expedient or um, easy to do. And so, yeah, I think it does take wisdom. It takes prayer. And, um, you know, I've, I've had to think through this and, and, you know, it's, I live this stuff, I breathe this stuff, but it has caused me to think through and, and, you know, say, yeah, this was horrific. This was evil. Uh, this was not right. It's one thing to 
be under oppression and say we're going to resist nonviolently uh, versus we're going to massacre people. There's, uh, you know, that's never justified. But so we all have to wrestle with that. And um, and as again, as Christians, individually, corporately, um, we need to just come, be coming back to Jesus, I think, all the time. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I guess Psalm 46, you know, comes to mind just uh, to throw scripture on here. But I, I think it is a, appropriate, you know, that the Lord is a refuge. He is a shelter. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. And and the admonition to be still rather than to, you know, we may not be out there going and fighting or, or lobbing bombs, but are, can we still our souls long enough uh, for God to be exalted and to, uh, unfortunately, you know, allow this this tragic evil, um, but to know that that His good purposes will still win out in the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. That the be still verse can be too hastily slapped on coffee mugs and taken as a, you know, admonition against our daily stresses. But uh, it's really a, um, it's an affirmation and acknowledgement of, of uh, God's Lordship and the ultimate belief, the ultimate belief in, in justice. Um, But as with, you know, as with Romans 12, you know, our, our pacifism is built on the idea that like, justice you know in in many ways is god's realm (laughs) prerogative and and we we seek it we yearn for it we pray for it especially when we see horrific atrocities um we also know that to, to to take up arms in response is not not for us um but we leave it to the lord um yeah yeah amen Paul, thank you so much for the time thank you You're welcome.